right, folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter, part of the Mile High Sports Podcast Network, and I am excited to discuss uh, an off day today as the Denver Nuggets have traveled to Dallas. They will take on the Mavericks in two straight games on Friday and on Sunday. Fortunately, I won't be there for either of those, but I will be covering them, obviously, from afar. And we'll have a good time with that. In the meantime, we're going to be able to kind of do a a little bit of a check-in on both the Nuggets and and where they stand on the injury report especially. We'll do a little bit of a preview of the Nuggets and the Mavs and what those two games are probably going to look like more or so. And then we will do a contender check-in, talk about the teams that were supposed to be competing for a title. Are they in position? Are they doing well? what's going wrong, things like that. I'm going to go rapid fire probably through like 12 teams or so. I won't talk about the Nuggets during that time, but I I got some feedback that people like it when I talk about the rest of the league and they like it when I work that into the rest of the dialogue when this is such a Nuggets-focused podcast. So I'm going to try to balance the two out, and this is a perfect moment to do that because Denver, they're kind of in a, a little bit of a... Like purgatory place within their schedule right now where Nikola Jokic goes out due to health and safety protocols. Aaron Gordon missed last game due to non-COVID illness, although I think a lot of people know that that can really evolve and it doesn't necessarily mean that that will stay that way. Not to mention, given that Bones Highland had, uh, he was in health and safety protocols, Ryan Saunders, the Nuggets assistant coach, was in health and safety Jokic going into health and safety and now Jamal Murray going into health and safety protocols is not really a surprise. The locker rooms and the the procedures are a little bit more lax in general, a little bit more relaxed in general, just because the brunt of COVID is now over and people would like to get back to their daily lives as quickly as possible. And the players, I think, thought the same thing. So you kind of go back to this and this is almost like the flu. It's like the flu or just a stomach bug kind of going around. Not necessarily anything like super major, but it can affect people. It can put them on their butt and they're not necessarily up to play. So unfortunately, it caught Denver. And as I noted on online today, the Nuggets are one of the only teams that has really been massively affected by this so far. The only other two players outside of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray that are on health and safety protocols around the NBA right now are the Spurs' Romeo Langford and I believe uh, the Lakers' Max Christie. So it's not like this is a widespread thing. It's just mostly hit the Nuggets, which sucks. It's, it's unfortunate. Some teams, sometimes they go entire years without getting a bug, without getting sick. And that's great. Good for them. Unfortunately, it hit the Nuggets right when they were kind of hitting their stride. So Denver was 9-4 and four, returning from their road trip. They lose the only game that they play at home. And now they're going to go back out on the road for a couple games in Dallas. And they will be without the services of Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, most likely in both of those games. We don't know what it's going to ultimately look like for Sunday's game, but Jokic and Murray were both deemed out on the Friday injury report. 
So unless that changes in rapid order, I very much doubt that those guys are going to play on Friday. Aaron Gordon, also questionable as I mentioned. Non-COVID illness, that can always evolve into something more. Ish Smith has been permanently doubtful with his right calf strain over the course of these last few days. And it doesn't seem like he's fully worked his way back yet either. Colin Gillespie also has been out for the entire year. So on a roster where Denver has 17 available bodies, Colin Gillespie's been out for the entire season. So it's really been 16. You take out Jokic and Murray, you take out Gordon, you take out Ish Smith, and you're suddenly down to 12 players, which is tough. That is a tough, tough place to be. So who's in the rotation? Who's out of the rotation for a game against Dallas? This is a tough one because now you're without your stars in Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, and everything is going to have to evolve. You're going to have to play a little bit differently without those guys, as we kind of saw against the New York Knicks. I thought Murray had a really good first three quarters in that game on on Wednesday, but uh, obviously he kind of lost it a little bit towards the end. And I think in his words, the team got a little bit discombobulated. He was among that. So Denver's going to have to find a way to play without those guys. And I'll talk a little bit more in depth on the matchups in just a second here. But in terms of the rotation, it's a curious thing. Jeff Green and DeAndre Jordan started in place of Aaron Gordon and Nikola Jokic last game. Who starts in a matchup against Dallas in place of Jamal Murray. Do you go with Bruce or do you go with Bones Highland, who I think is the natural replacement? Uh, kind of a scoring point guard, somebody who can really help carry the load. You don't know if you're going to be able to score and keep up with a team like Dallas. Unfortunately, Dallas is a good offense themselves and they have one of the most dangerous players in Luka Doncic in the entire world. So having a lot of perimeter defense, players that can deal with that might be helpful. So rather than just throwing KCP to the Wolves on that one, maybe throw Bruce Brown out there. Maybe throw your defensive point guard, somebody who can switch up and down the lineup one through five a little bit, try to run some more aggressive stuff and not really give up an inch in that case. Now, I think we've seen that play out a little bit, and I I don't really like the lineups that have Bruce Brown at point guard when Nikola Jokic is not out there. When Jokic is out there, it makes sense. He can really make anything work, and there's actually some definite benefits for having Bruce Brown defend the point of attack. But without him, when you have DeAndre Jordan there, the offense is going to look really bad if Bruce Brown is starting. That's just a fact. It's not like It's not a negative thing. He has his own strengths and weaknesses, but those just don't really line up with what the Nuggets need in the starting group. So I have to imagine that it's probably going to be Bones, that Bones starts next to KCP, Michael Porter, Jeff Green, and DeAndre Jordan. And then the rest of the rotation, I think it's pretty interesting to think about. Let's say you've got Bruce Brown. You're also going to have Christian Brown. I have to imagine Davon Reed might get involved in this game. Flacco Chanchar, and Zeke Najee. Najee's a sneaky, important player in a matchup that features Dallas. And we'll get to that in just a little bit here, but I named 10 players just now. And so the only two guys that I don't have playing in the Friday or Sunday games are Jack White and Peyton Watson. 
the two guys that have been spending time with the Grand Rapids Gold. So Denver's kind of in a really tough spot right now. They are in a spot where you don't know what it's going to look like from a rotation standpoint, and you don't know where the offense is going to come from, who's going to lead the group in a game where you need to defend and really match up with Luka Doncic. Can KCP handle that? Can Bruce Brown handle that? Bruce Brown's only 6'4". Luka's 6'8". He's going to see right over him. So it's going to be a tough matchup for well anybody who's out on Luka Doncic. It wouldn't even surprise me if Jeff Green got some serious time against Luka, and, and that might actually be Denver's best option at times. Christian Brown also will probably get some time there. So we're going to see. We are going to see what that looks like. But ultimately, Michael Malone is going to have to think about this matchup as more of a learning experience. Not necessarily a winning experience, more of a learning experience for this Nuggets team. And that's all to do with the injury report. It's tough. It's got to be annoying. This is one of those things that you don't really foresee at the beginning of the season. But if you have a whole bunch of guys out at a stretch in time where you just need one or two of those guys back and you don't have any of them, Denver's in a really tough spot. But either way, let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to discuss the actual matchup between these two teams. And I'll go more in depth on a Mavs scouting report when we come back. But first, folks, it was just Thursday night football tonight. And I got to tell you, Superbook Sports, they are excited to let you know that football is back. Football is better than ever. Superbook is bringing Vegas-style wagering to the palm of your hands. And now they will match 100% of your first bet up to $1,000, no matter if that bet wins or loses. You don't have to be at the stadium to enjoy football in this blizzard that's going on outside. Just visit Superbook.com or download the Superbook Colorado app right now and start getting in on all of the action. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. All right, we're back. Big Axe and Roll. Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support on the podcast as always. Can it be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe now more than ever as Twitter seems to be just on the verge of collapse now, and I have no idea if I'm going to be able to communicate this podcast at all to anybody. So if you can, make sure to rate, review, and subscribe while you have the chance, and just know that this feed will be populated five times a week. I podcast about the Nuggets and the NBA five times every week, doing my best. Most of it's by myself, so... Any and all support would be very much appreciated. All right, let's talk more about the Mavericks. Let's talk more about this matchup because I like these two game series. I think that these are important data points for the Nuggets and for the Mavericks and how they stack up with each other. But more than anything, this is a good approximate. I'll talk about this in just a little bit, but. This is a good approximate for a playoff series, for being able to scout, for being able to look at a team that you could potentially face in a playoff series, especially a first-round playoff series, and think, okay, how do we match up with this team? What works? What doesn't? What are they going to try to go to? Can we stop this guy at all? 
And the guy that I'm talking about is Luka Doncic. He didn't play in their last game, but he is going to play. He wasn't on the injury report. Jokic and Murray were, and they were out. So they'll not play in at least the first game. We'll see about the second game. But the Mavs, they have basically gone all in on Luka Doncic plus defense. Going away from Jalen Brunson, who was their secondary ball handler last year, the guy who kind of ran the show when Luka was off the court, and even sometimes had the ball in his hands when Luka was on the court and allowed Luka to kind of take some breaks here or there. But rather than do that, they've decided to put it basically all on Luka Doncic. He and Spencer Dinwiddie have carried the load for this team. Luka is doing some crazy things. He's averaging a high level of minutes, about 37, averaging 34.4 points per game, 8.8 rebounds, 7.8 assists, 2.1 steals, 49.7% from the field, 29.1% from three. This is the heaviest workload in the entire NBA. There's no doubt about that. And Nuggets fans, I think, should be familiar and have some sympathy for a team like Dallas, where they are doing everything that they can to surround Luka with good role players, whereas you probably need, in order to get to the top levels, you probably need another star. You probably need somebody else who can help share that burden. The minutes when Luka's off the court are going to be worse in the playoffs. I, I don't think that there's any doubt about that. When Luka's on the floor, they'll try to survive just like the Nuggets tried to survive with Jokic last year. But I do have some sympathy for the way that they're trying to operate this. What I don't have sympathy for is that they're doing this by choice. They had an opportunity to retain Brunson. They could have brought him back and watching what Jalen Brunson did to the Nuggets yesterday on Wednesday night, think, hey, that's a good player. You could probably do with having that player. And instead of having all three of Luka, Brunson, and Dinwiddie to really cycle through his ball handlers. They just decided not to pay Brunson. So they had a choice. They chose not to do that. And we'll see if it works out for them. So far, they aren't fantastic. Their record on the season is just 8-6. and Actually, let me refresh here just to make sure I'm not crazy. Yeah, just 8-6. and Denver's 9-5, and so it's not like they're wildly different here, but I think Denver's been a little bit better, especially in actual gameplay. On the season, the Mavericks are plus 2.4 points per 100 possessions on cleaning the glass. That ranks ranks ninth in the NBA. They have an average defense ranked, or an average offense, excuse me, ranked 15th, but their defense is ranked 4th which is not necessarily something that you would expect from a team like the Mavericks, but they have locked in on the defensive end and done some good things. It has helped that Luka has been a pillar that they can rely upon for everything. Dinwiddie has also been very good for them. 17 points per game, 5 assists, 45% from the field, 41% from three. Really good numbers for him. Christian Wood has been their third guy. And he's been coming off the bench and having a really good time with it. Or he's been he's been good. 16.7 points, 7.5 rebounds, 55.7% from the field, and 42% from three. Those are great numbers too. 
And he is just like, there's no doubt about it that Christian Wood is a talented offensive player. But sometimes he plays and sometimes he doesn't with that uh, closing lineup because sometimes he has it going and sometimes he kind of ruins their defense. So right now, the Mavericks are kind of in that stage where the Nuggets are, or at least they were last year, where they are trying to figure out the combinations around Luka Doncic, the combinations when Luka Doncic is off the floor, and see which of those can be successful. Some of those numbers have been fine. Like I said, overall, their point differential has been pretty good. But unlike the Nuggets last year, the Mavericks actually have a couple of other guys that they can surround and be reasonably okay. Spencer Dinwiddie, Christian Wood among them, especially with that bench unit, have been solid. Now, the starters on most nights are Luka, Dinwiddie, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith, and either Dwight Powell or JaVale McGee. It started off as JaVale. They benched him ultimately. It just wasn't working for them. The team just wasn't very good while he was out there. Dwight Powell has been great. Now, both of those guys are rim rollers. One of those guys knows how to do it a little bit better than the other. And Dwight Powell, he's very familiar with the schemes that they run there. So not necessarily a surprise that he's better at this than JaVale. But the version of the starting lineup that's had Powell in there has been great. The version that's had JaVale in there has been horrible. So it's not really a surprise. It wouldn't surprise me if JaVale, even if he does come back and is healthy, he may just come off the bench or he may just not play at all. It's going to be fascinating to think about. But their main bench guys, outside of those starters, Tim Hardaway Jr., Christian Wood, Maxi Kleba, and Josh Green. Now, the lineup where Lucas staggers with those guys is good, but Maxi Kleba is out in this matchup. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Mavericks kind of fill that void if they do at all. Maybe they just go with eight guys. But the lineup where Lucas out there, is really good. And the lineup where Dinwiddie's out there as well, it's actually average. It's not even that bad. You would expect for all of the lineups without Luka Doncic to be horrible, but it's actually not the case. Uh, You just look at their net rating kind of across the board with all of their different players, and there aren't that many that have a negative net rating because they have found a way with both Luka and Spencer Dinwiddie to make it work, to run healthy offense and really commit to the defensive end. That's one of those things with Denver where they did not have the ability to really commit with their defense last year. The personnel that they had just wasn't good defensively. Dallas is different. Dorian Finney-Smith is a fantastic defender. Maxi Kleba is very good. Josh Green has grown into a very good defender. And then their guys, their veterans, Reggie Bullock, uh, Christian Wood can find ways to be successful, not necessarily all the time, but Tim Hardaway Jr., those guys know how to play defense. They're not going to be great, but they know how. So they're figuring their stuff out, and they're figuring out how to stagger, and I don't think that the Nuggets, when they go to their bench lineup, are going to get any favors from the Mavericks. Like The Mavericks are going to bring a lot of good lineups to the rotation with a lot of good veterans. They have a team full of veterans that's just very competent. Not a lot of young guys that can really have a ton of variance. Like Josh Green is really the only guy who has any sort of variance at all, but he's been very good this year for them. So what I'm thinking with this game 
is that this is a good one for Denver to really test themselves, for them to learn some things about their roster, about the way that they match up with a team like Dallas, where this could be kind of an extended audition for the non-Jokic and Murray minutes. Denver's going to have to have those. Like, I don't think they're going to be in a situation where Jokic and Murray are always on the court, or at least one of them is always on the court. There will be, t- there will be times where Bones is out there with MPJ, and then it's Jeff Green and Christian Brown and Bruce Brown and guys like that. And Denver's going to have to figure out what works and what doesn't. So you can go through it against a veteran team like Dallas, where you're probably not going to win. But I am hoping that Denver can answer some key ca- key questions here. Number one, does, Bone, or does Bones or Bruce Brown start in place of Murray? That's probably the first thing I'm thinking about because if Bruce Brown starts, you're really looking for, okay, is the defense actually good with this group? Or is it just kind of hindered by what the offense is doing? Same thing for the other variation. For Bones, is the offense actually good when you have your offensive guy out there? Or is it sort of hindered by them really giving up some points on the defensive end? And then can Denver survive in those configurations, or are they just going to get blown out of the water? Number two, can Michael Porter respond? He's had a couple bad games here out of three. Uh, Two bad games sandwiching a really good game against Chicago. Can he be more like the Chicago version of MPJ, or is he going to be kind of helpless when nobody's really delivering him the ball on a silver platter? Can he find opportunities to be successful? That's a good question for me. Number three, if Aaron Gordon doesn't play, who guards Luka Doncic the most? Is it going to be, as I mentioned, KCP? Will Bruce Brown start and then guard him? Will Jeff Green start? Is Luka just going to try to hunt MPJ and try to embarrass the dude? I don't think that that's what's going to happen, but if MPJ gets switched out onto Luka, how does he do? Does he just draw fouls and get frustrated? I don't know. But I think Christian Brown will get some opportunities. Wouldn't surprise me if Davon Reed got some opportunities. And then the next one, number four, can Zeke Naji hold up against a guy like Luka Doncic as a switch-everything-five. I feel pretty comfortable that when Denver gets to the playoffs that DeAndre Jordan's not going to be the answer. I feel pretty comfortable that that's going to be a bad thing for Denver because when opposing teams, let's say it's the, uh, let's say it's Dallas. Let's say they have Maxi Kleba as their backup five. I don't think they care if DeAndre Jordan's kind of going for lobs, if he's trying to go above the rim, they will try to take away the paint. They will try to protect the perimeter. And they can do that pretty well with a guy like Maxi Kleba guarding DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan. Are they? Is Denver going to be able to hold up offensively? And are they going to be able to keep pace in that kind of lineup with a team led by Luka? I doubt it. So... Denver's going to have to find other ways. I think they're going to have to find another five. And if it can be Zeke, then that's great because he's already on the roster and he's kind of like the player that you're hoping for develops kind of like a Maxi Kleba, somebody who's a switch everything player, very much just knows his role, doesn't go outside of it, a confident shooter, a confident switch defender. 
Maxi Kleba is the exact kind of player that Zeke Naji should be modeling his game after. Maxi Kleba's making money. He's making double-digit millions. That seems like a good player for Zeke Naji to model his game. Because Maxi's not a starter, but he sure is a closer for a team like Dallas, where you need that level of defense at the five. Lots of teams will need that. Maybe not Denver when Nikola Jokic is out there, but Maxi Kleba can also play the four. So if Zeke Naji can also play the four, he could close some games for Denver too. We're going to find out. We are going to see what it looks like and what Zeke can do. Can he handle the load offensively? Can he handle the load defensively? Did reasonably well against the Knicks, but Dallas is a tougher matchup. And then number five, who steps up the most in this situation? As I mentioned, the Nuggets are going to try to learn some things from this matchup. Who is the guy that steps up? Is it going to be Porter? Is it going to be Bones? This is a road game, so not necessarily expecting Bones to go off. But if he does, if he can put 25 and 7 up and do so relatively efficiently, that gives Denver a chance. If enough guys do that, Denver can seriously win. Porter has to be able to get up double-digit shots. If he doesn't, then Denver, they're sunk. They just don't have the offense to be able to keep up with a team like the Mavericks. So, I don't know. I'm very curious to see what it looks like. Very curious to see who steps up in this situation. Denver will learn some things about their team over the course of this weekend. Whether they're good things or bad things, that remains to be seen. All right, let's take a final break. When we come back, we are going to check in with some other contenders around the NBA. We'll be right back. All right, final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Uh, was just a... Kind of basking in the the glory was Portland losing at home to the Brooklyn Nets without Kyrie Irving, who uh, he'll he'll be back at some point, and that that is what it is. But uh, Ben Simmons has a good game. That's that's good for him. Royce O'Neal, I think, had a triple double. That's pretty impressive, and uh, he got the game or the game winning tip in after Kevin Durant kind of front ironed a really tough shot. Front ironed, excuse me. Uh, but yeah, that's a that's a good outcome for Denver. Anytime that Portland loses, that is going to be good. Anytime that another divisional team loses, that is going to be fantastic. So Denver may be in a battle with Portland, given what they've done so far and how they've played. Now, they, they've had some good luck. They've had a couple buzzer-beating wins, basically. Uh, not necessarily the most viable long-term team, but... They got out to a good start. They've been playing well, so them losing a heartbreaker, that's a that's a good outcome for Denver. But as we kind of transition into other contenders, I did want to talk about, I'm not sure where Denver slots in here. I think Denver can win the title, but there are three tiers that I'm going to be talking about of teams that have, that was more about preseason expectations versus regular season expectations. This is more about preseason. The top tier is the four teams that I was seeing that I think were universally picked as the top four teams 
heading into the regular season. The next tier beyond them, teams that I think could, uh, like I think they're tier two contenders, not necessarily crash the party kind of tiers, but if they won, would I be surprised? Yes. Would I be flummoxed? No. And then after that, you've got a group of teams that could crash the party. So Denver, I think, is in between tier one and tier two. Tier one is Boston, Milwaukee, Golden State, and the LA Clippers. Those are the four teams that I think were designated preseason as the four favorites. Boston was one of those teams that really stood out, Golden State especially in the Western Conference. But the way Milwaukee has played, they have the best player in the world, I think. I, I, I Jokic can, like, he'll compete for that, no doubt. And on any given night, Jokic can be the best guy. But Giannis, I think, is more often than not the best player in the world. And so you have him kind of captaining things in an easier Eastern Conference. And then in the West, the Clippers, they're the team that I think when you check in on some of these teams, you're a little bit worried. With Golden State, they're going to figure some things out. It's going to take a little bit of time. Golden State, they currently have a point differential of plus 1.0 on the season, which ranks 16th in the NBA. They have a uh, the ninth ranked offense, the 23rd ranked defense. And the thing that stands out on the cleaning the glass uh, factor here is that they've been better in the last two weeks especially, but the win difference that they've had between their expected and their actual based off of what their point differential is, is they're minus two. Uh, so that ranks 29th in the NBA, which means they're kind of getting unlucky here at this stage. They should probably have more wins based off of their point differential than they actually do. So I think that this is going to correct. What they've been going through is they've been trying to work through different combinations with their bench. They'll figure that out, not really concerned. They'll also probably make a trade. Let's be honest. They may just trade James Wiseman away and decide, yeah, we need to go get a better big man, somebody that's a little bit more reliable, or maybe they get somebody that's a better wing that they can deploy off of their bench units. So they'll have some options there, but I still consider them a tier one contender. There's no reason why I wouldn't. They have a better chance than just about anybody to come out of the Western Conference. Now, are they going to have the best record in the West? Probably not. The Clippers, on the other hand, they are 24th in the NBA in point differential on cleaning the glass, minus 1.9. So their win difference, they actually have a positive win differential where they are, they're eight and seven right now. Golden State is six and nine. Golden State has a positive point differential, so they probably should have uh, LA's record. And then the Clippers have an eight and seven record, but a negative point differential. They should probably have Golden State's record. So some of this comes down to just getting a little bit lucky in terms of uh, who you're facing in terms of what you're expecting. But the thing about the Clippers is they're ranked 30th in the entire NBA in offensive rating. They have been horrible scoring the basketball. And that I don't think is going to really change as things kind of evolve here. They've scored 85 points in basically 43 minutes against the Detroit Pistons, who have the worst defense in the NBA, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just confirm that that's true. Yeah, the Pistons have the worst defense in the NBA, and the Clippers could barely score against them. Now they've held the 
Pistons to 79 in this game, and they're probably going to win that one. But the Clippers have had a relatively favorable schedule, and they haven't gone gangbusters. Part of that is because of the Kawhi Leonard situation, which I think is definitely a concern. I think a lot of people are a little bit flummoxed at what's going on with Kawhi. Now, I'm just going to click on this box score because he did play tonight. He had 22 minutes, plus 24 in his 22 minutes. Now, it wasn't necessarily because of everything that he did. He had four points on six shots, one of six from the field. But he had four assists, four rebounds, is what it is. The rest of the team around him was very functional while he was out there. And the Pistons really struggled to score while he was out there too. Now, the Pistons don't have Kate Cunningham right now. They're starting Jaden Ivey, Killian Hayes, Sadiq Bey, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Marvin Bagley. So it's not like the Pistons are a great matchup. So this isn't necessarily the best determining factor of whether the Clippers are going to be good or not. I don't know if the Clippers are going to be great. I think they'll probably turn out to be good. But I have more concerns with them than I do with Golden State. Golden State's done it. They know what they have to do. They know what the level is that they have to get to. Now, if the Clippers can start figuring some things out, especially during the middle of the season and then kind of heading into the playoffs, then they'll be fine. Then they'll be a force to be reckoned with at that point. But they're not that right now, and they're not really close to being that right now. So we will see what it looks like, but their their bench that has been highlighted as one of the best bench units in the NBA, it hasn't been great. Like the Detroit Pistons bench outperformed them just straight up. So it's interesting to think about. It's interesting to see what the Clippers are going to have to deal with. But in terms of the Western top tier teams, Golden State and the Clippers, they have been underperforming. I think Golden State's going to be better. The Clippers, we'll see. Boston, Milwaukee, they have been as advertised. Not really anything to really check in with on their front. Uh, They've had some injury stuff, but even with that, they have not been stopped. Boston, Nuggets fans just saw it. They are a machine. They know what they're doing, and they have a player in Jason Tatum who's just playing at just as high of a level as just about anybody. So been really impressed with them. Milwaukee, obviously. Giannis, that's pretty much the story. But Brooke Lopez also. Really big story for them. He might be an all-star this year. Might might have that caliber of season. Now, the next tier down, I think I would have thrown in Denver in between the top tier and the next tier. But this next tier down of Philly, Miami, Phoenix, and Memphis. These are the four next teams that I think are universally considered to have uh, the best preseason odds best preseason chances. Now, I don't include Brooklyn. I don't include the LA Lakers in any of this because they were just too volatile and a lot of people were going to bet on them, but they shouldn't have. There was no reason to. Now, Philly, they started off slow, making a lot of jokes, definitely funny the way that they started out, but they've turned things around. They're seven and seven right now, clearly fine. They've won three out of their last four, and the last two games that they've played, they have a whole bunch of off days right now. So the last two games that they played, Joel Embiid scored 101 points in 24 hours in two straight games. That was crazy. Like, it's just a crazy number, and he's he deserves all the credit in the world for that. The fact that he needed to go as hard as he did 
in those matchups, I think says a lot about where the Sixers are kind of in the rest of their team. But they have some good pieces. There's no doubt about that. As a team right now, Philly is 10th in point differential. So they're figuring some stuff out. Like it's it's taken some time for them, but they're fifth in defense. 110.6 points per 100 possessions. It's pretty good. It's pretty reasonable. Nothing crazy. Like they could be better. But 110.6 is pretty good. And I think their offense is going to get better as the season wears on, where Embiid kind of makes it work with both Harden and Maxi. Harden's out right now, but and Maxi has not been good. But they'll figure it out. There's no doubt. Um, and I know that a lot of people are not super happy about that. Now, Miami, Miami is not going to figure it out. I do not see them as a contender. I do not think that they recover from this. They are seven and eight. So just one more loss than Philly. But the way that they have played is not super enticing. 12th in offense, 17th in defense. I mentioned it on the last podcast, or the last off day podcast that I did, where I did not expect them to be this bad defensively, but they have been. They have not been able to maintain what was basically their identity for much of last year, for much of the Pat Riley era. Bam Adebayo has been a great defensive player for a long time, but he hasn't had the same impact as he usually does. And a lot of it has actually come down to the bench. So not necessarily Bam Adebayo's fault, but their bench lineups have been horrible. So can they figure that out? Yes. Is that possible? Yes. Will we see it change? I don't know. They don't really have a lot of resources to make those trades to get better. So if it does happen, then great. Uh, If not, then I won't be shedding a tear. And Phoenix and Memphis, uh, two teams that were the top two seeds in the Western Conference last year. Phoenix has been good. They've been as advertised. No questions about them. They are second in the NBA in point differential, third in offense, third in defense. Been pretty much as advertised, although Chris Paul, not necessarily the same player. They're relying more and more on Mikhail Bridges, on DeAndre Ayton, on Cameron Payne. That last one probably should send some alarm bells, and I think it has, but so far they have made it work. They've been a good team, kind of preying on some of the other bad teams. And then they also played Golden State and some of the other good teams that they are the teams that are supposed to be good. They've really preyed on those teams a lot. So we will see what that ultimately looks like, but I am very curious to see what the matchup between Denver and Phoenix looks like on Christmas. Because Phoenix will have figured some of their stuff out, but Denver, more importantly, will have figured some of their stuff out too. Assumably, uh, Jokic and Murray will not have COVID anymore, or be in health and safety protocols, excuse me. Uh, But we will see what that looks like and what that matchup ultimately does. Next, uh, Memphis. Memphis is not... Like, they're fine. To me, they're fine. They're not great. Will they be a 50-win team? I don't know. I don't think so. They could rattle off some wins when Jaron Jackson comes back, but I wouldn't really hold my breath in terms of what they look like from a playoff perspective. Desmond Bain looks like a better player. It's hard for me to really see them as being a te- or beating a team like Phoenix, beating a team like Golden State, or even beating a team like the Clippers. I think that Memphis is probably behind all of those teams, and 
if they matched up with Denver, it would be a tough matchup for Denver, let's be honest. But I think that Jokic and Murray and Porter and all of Denver's kind of wing and forward defenders, I think they make it work. Now, those are the eight teams outside of Denver that I think most people could say, yeah, this team could win a title. I don't necessarily think that they would, but I think there's at least a non-zero chance. I think before the season, a lot of people would have said, oh yeah, Atlanta, Cleveland, Portland, Utah, none of those four teams have a chance to win the title, especially teams like Utah. Utah, everybody just said, yeah, they're tanking. They are trading away all their good players and they are going to get into the lottery. And lo and behold, Utah's been pretty good. Now they have come back down to earth. They are only sixth in point differential right now. They are 10 and six in the NBA, plus 3.0. They're sixth in offense, 19th in defense. And they've had some good luck from a shooting perspective. That'll probably regress overall. They're probably going to end up being a low 40s to mid 40s win team. I don't expect them to be more than that. Now, Portland, I laughed at what they had happen earlier, but they are a good team. There's no doubt about that. They got some luck early on in the season for some early wins. Teams are going to start figuring them out a little bit. Teams are going to start really punishing them on the defensive end. So far, their defense has been really good, but I don't expect that to hold up. I don't think that they have the formula to really make teams struggle, especially teams with bigs. So Denver should be able to score at will against Portland the next time they see them. And I think a lot of other teams will too, whether it's Golden State, whether it's the Clippers, whether it's Memphis, Phoenix, I don't know. But one, like every team is going to start locking in and Portland strikes me as a team that will rack up some wins and they'll probably crash the play-in tournament for sure. Maybe even the playoffs. Maybe they'll be a top, top six team in the West. I just don't really think that they're going to go beyond that. Like winning more than one round, that seems very, very unlikely. And the other two teams, Atlanta and Cleveland. Cleveland, I could see them doing some great things. They've been very, very good. They deserve the credit that they've earned so far. But Atlanta, despite the fact that Atlanta is 9-6, and six, they are 18th in point differential. They're kind of like... The Clippers. But instead of the Clippers being what they are, uh, which is not good at eight and seven, like they're 24th at eight and seven, Atlanta's 18th at nine and six. They have also been the benefit of some interesting win luck at the beginning of the year. I do think that Atlanta's probably going to come back down to earth at some point, but they do have a formula that once Bogdan Bogdanovich comes back, then they could rattle off some wins. Whether that's going to translate to anything more remains to be seen, but just haven't really been impressed with Trey Young, have not really been impressed with some of the guys that they have. So either way, you start to really get into average teams towards the end there, but if I'm really looking at which teams could win the title, the top tier of Boston, Milwaukee, Golden State, and the Clippers, those are still the teams to watch. Golden State and the Clippers more so because they are the teams that could turn things around and they still have the talent. There's no doubt about that. 
if they can figure their stuff out, then they are going to be forces to be reckoned with in the Western Conference playoff picture. Phoenix, Memphis, like Phoenix will also be a force, but not in quite the same way, not in quite the same potent way that I don't think that uh, I think Golden State or the Clippers could be. So Denver's going to have to compete with those teams. They're going to have to figure it out. And all of the matchups that they have against those teams, Golden State, LA, Phoenix, Memphis especially, all four of those teams, Denver's going to need to take those seriously. Those are going to be need to be circled. They're going to need to be data points for this team. And if the Nuggets are serious about winning a title, they will take those extremely seriously. But we will see. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by Superbook Sports. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I'll be back tomorrow night recapping the first Nuggets-Mavericks game of the weekend. Denver plays them on Friday night. They play them again on Sunday. We will talk about both of those for sure. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Talk to you guys very soon. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.